We're going in a little bit different direction this year with our our lesson. Uh, you'll see as we go along. I'm not sure how much thought the audio team uh, gave to the scripture references I gave them. Uh, if they tried to think ahead, what is, where is he going to go using these scriptures? Uh, I'm thinking the only one that may have really looked at that is Mouse, and I doubt he looked far enough into it to figure it out. But we'll see. If after this message he says, I knew that's where you were going, okay. So, happy Hanukkah. <sighs> Why Hanukkah? See, Hanukkah is not listed in the Moedim of Leviticus 23. It's not listed anywhere as one of the Moedim. But we do it every year for eight days. Jewish children, especially everywhere in the world, and even most Gentiles, know of at least one reason why we celebrate Hanukkah. Because everyone is familiar with the miraculous story of the oil. And how it was that after defeating the army of Antiochus and then entering into the temple, the Maccabees found just one small jar of oil with only enough oil for one day. This was a special oil. It was pure. So they weren't going to make it overnight. There was nowhere to go buy it. And it was going to take a long time to process any more oil. So in order that they, we could remember this miracle of that little bit of oil burning for eight days, the sages instituted the holiday that we know as Hanukkah. Sometimes called the Feast of Dedication, sometimes they called the Festival of Lights. And it included the lighting of candles as part of that remembrance. So beyond the question why Hanukkah, that brings me to this question. Of the many miracles that occurred throughout Jewish history, in our Torah, in our Tanakh, why did the sages choose to institute a holiday to commemorate this particular miracle? And it comes complete with reciting the Hallel prayers. They instituted no other holidays to commemorate many other miracles. Think about it. This wasn't even a miracle that's recorded within the canon of Scripture. What about the ones that are? So we're going to look at a few of them. Most of us are familiar with the story of Joshua's conquest of Jericho. The book of Joshua tells us the story. and It talks about that time when the Israelite nation was standing right on the verge of conquering Jericho. And God told Joshua in Joshua 6-2 through the first part of verse 4, Look! I have given Jericho into your hand with its kings and mighty warriors. Now you are to march around the city, all the men of war circling the city once. So you are to do for six days. Seven Kohanim will carry seven shofarot of ram's horns before the ark. So that's exactly what they did. Many historians actually say that that started on a 
Sunday, which would add even more significance to the account because they would have repeated for seven days, so they would have ended up on what day? So on that seventh day, God said to Joshua in the second half of verse 4 through verse 5, Then on the seventh day, you are to circle the city seven times while the Kohanim blow the shofar out. It will be when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the shofar, have all the people shout a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people will go up, everyone straight ahead. Wow. But it goes on. Beginning of verse 15, it says, Now on the seventh day they arose early at dawn and marched around the city in the same way seven times. Only on that day they did, did they march around the city seven times. Then on the seventh time when the Kohanim blew the shofar, Joshua ordered the people, Shout! For Adonai has given you the city. And we all know what happened. The walls did fall, just as God said they would. And the people conquered Jericho. But what an incredible miracle that happened right before their eyes. You know, you see these newsreels of old stadiums being imploded, old buildings being imploded. They use charges all through them so it comes down nice and smooth. They didn't have dynamite here. They didn't set any charges. It was simply God honoring his word when the people did what he said to do. He said, blow the shofar out and give a loud shout. And he honored that. Now, do we know what date it was? I don't. But more importantly, Joshua himself didn't establish any sort of commemoration or holiday to remember that awesome miracle. Neither did the sages decide that was something worth celebrating and remembering. Well, Joshua was involved with another miracle. It's all about this battle he had with the five Amorite kings. And it, this is understood that the battle happened on a Friday afternoon. And that in order for the people not to violate Shabbat by fighting during the Shabbat, we read in Joshua chapter 10, verses 12 through 14, Then Joshua spoke to Adonai on the day Adonai gave the Amorites over to B'nai Israel and said in the eyes of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibbon, moon over the Ayalon Valley. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on its enemies. Is it not written in the book of Jashar? Thus the sun halted in the middle of the sky and did not hurry to go down for about a full day. There was no day like that before it or after it, when Adonai listened to the voice of a man, for Adonai fought for Israel. But do we have any kind of a holiday establishing a commemoration of that miracle? And when did that miracle happen? It was presumably on the third day of Tammuz. But even if we knew for certain, 
We do know one thing. There was no holiday that was established for that miracle. Then there was the miracle that the people experienced for some 40 years while they journeyed through the the desert, the wilderness. And that was the daily portion of bread from heaven. Every day, the manna continued to fall, which would become the longest lasting miracle of them all. Many of the miracles that occurred during that journey took moments. You know, like the splitting of the sea. That was the night. But the manna continued to feed them for 40 years. Still, we're not celebrating manna on a given day. We don't spend 40 days every year celebrating that miracle of God providing food for the Israelites. On the other hand, we'll see the downside of all this. Maybe it's a good thing there aren't holidays for every miracle. Because if we celebrate every single miracle in Jewish history, almost every day could be a holiday. Which wouldn't hurt my feelings, but it could disrupt commerce and, to some extent, our everyday lives. But back to my original question. Why did the sages choose a holiday to commemorate the miracle of the oil? Well, let's look at another point in history of the Israelites. Because there was a miracle that involved a flame before this. It didn't burn up its fuel, just like the menorah. So much like that oil didn't burn out, the miracle of the burning bush is very similar. When God revealed himself to Moses for the very first time, The Torah tells us in Exodus chapter 3, verse 2, that the angel of Adonai appeared to him in a flame of fire from within a bush. So he looked and saw the bush burning with fire, yet it was not consumed. So what Moses saw was a bush, a shrub, something that could be lit on fire very easily. And it would easily burn. But as many of you know, You light a bush on fire, it doesn't burn very long. It's going to go out. This didn't go out. This bush kept burning. It wasn't being consumed, much like the oil. This caused Moses to think to himself in verse 3, I will go now and see this great sight. Why is the bush not burnt? When he did go closer, it was then that God revealed himself to him for the first time and spoke to him out of that burning bush. Now, has anybody ever wondered why, if God wanted to speak to Moses, why didn't he do it in such an elaborate way? Draw him to this burning bush in order to speak to him. Why such an elaborate miracle? He could have just revealed himself through a prophecy or by just speaking directly like he did with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, or the way he did with Noah and Adam. Or he could have come to Moses in a vision or in a dream and just speak to him the same words he did from the bush. Why did he need to perform this particular miracle? 
Well, the Midrash explains it like this. Why did God appear to Moses in this manner? Because in his heart, Moses felt that perhaps the Egyptians were annihilating the Jews. So God showed him a bush burning but not being consumed. God said to him, just like the bush is aflame but is not being consumed, so too the Egyptians are unable to consume the Jewish people. So why wasn't there a commemoration for this? Why didn't the sages decide that this was worth setting aside a special day to remember every year? There's another miracle that everyone can find in the local synagogues. Above the ark in every synagogue, there's a ner tamid, an everlasting eternal light that continues to burn. And we've spoken about this before. Here we unfortunately have to unplug our ner tamid because it's not our building. But we keep it burning every time we have services here. Many synagogues, many temples have a ner tamid that continues to burn 24-7. Maybe the day will come where we'll have our own place and our ner tamid will never be put out. But where does the tradition come from? In the holy temple, the Beit Hamikdash, there was a seven-branch menorah that was lit every night. It was filled with just enough oil to burn through the night and into the morning. In the morning, when all the other candles had burned out, one candle remained lit. And it miraculously continued to burn through the whole day. It was called the Ner Hama'aravi, the western lamp, because it was the westernmost lamp that stayed lit. And that was repeated in both the first and second temples. So this concept of a flame that continues to burn, but it never consumes its fuel, is what we see in the miracle of Hanukkah. The lights burned for eight days, but could not, nothing could succeed in consuming that small amount of oil, because it was obviously a miracle. It's symbolic of the soul. It's also symbolic of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. Now, we could come to the conclusion that the reason the sages chose this particular miracle to commemorate and not any of the others is because it really isn't, nor should it be, a one-time miracle, but instead a miracle that continues even to this day. No matter how many nations, how many enemies, how many outside governments try to burn down the chosen people of God, the house of Israel, we see that that bush, the Israelite nation, the Jewish people, is not, nor will it ever be, consumed. The nation of Israel continues to exist. It continues to endure. It continues to prosper. Not only that, it continues to grow stronger, not to mention more powerful. And may it continue to be so until the coming of Messiah Yeshua. 
There's a story about Hanukkah. I shared this a few years ago. But for those that weren't here or just need to hear it again, I'm going to share it again. It's called Hanukkah in Bergen-Belsen. In their very existence, a Jew and despair are contradictory. They simply cannot coexist together. Rabbi Shagal Shmuel Schlichner, and I love that he has a nickname, went by the more familiar name of Rabbi Schmelke. He looked around the barracks to make sure that the others had understood his point. Amidst a crowd of weary faces that stared back at him, there were a few who were nodding their heads in agreement. Perhaps they, too, had been Hasidim in another life, the life that existed before the war. And so they could appreciate the tales that Rabbi Shmelke told about Hasidic rebbies of former days. Now, Rabbi Shmelke didn't tell his stories just to pass the time. His job, as he saw it, was to keep up the spirits of the Jews who were imprisoned in the Bergen-Belsen concentration camp. That job would have been much easier if they were prophets, since the end of the war was just a few months away. But during that Kislev of 1944, the situation seemed as hopeless as ever. Even the thought of Hanukkah, which was fast approaching, couldn't dispel the gloom for most of them. For Rabbi Schmelke, it was a different story. Since the beginning of the month, he had been busy preparing for the holiday. He asked the same question everyone he met. Can you get us a little oil? Do you know someone who works in the kitchen? The answer was always the same. No. Hanukkah was only a few days away. And he had to find some oil with dismay, he realized that Hanukkah was only a few days away. He only he knew only too well that what would happen is that if he couldn't find any oil, many of his fellow prisoners that were clinging to life by only this slender thread of hope would give up hope. Once that thread was snapped, they would succumb to the deep sea of dark despair and threaten to drown them. So he had to find some oil even if he found only enough to kindle the first Hanukkah candle for a few seconds, that would be enough. But no Hanukkah lights. For for him, that was not an option. The day before Hanukkah, Rabbi Schmelke was at work at his other job in the camp, which was to remove the dead bodies from the barracks, when he received an order to go to the last barrack, where some people had died during the previous night. While he was walking across a field, his foot got caught in a small hole in the frozen earth, and he almost fell. He removed his foot from the hole and noticed there was something buried inside. After making sure that no guards were watching him, he knelt down to see what it was. He pulled out a small jar from the ground. Inside was some congealed liquid. Oil, he whispered. Oil for Hanukkah. Rabbi Shmelke then reached his hand inside the hole a second time. To his delight, he discovered that the hiding place contained more surprises. He pulled out a carefully wrapped package and quickly undid the paper wrapping. Inside were eight little cups and eight thin strands of cotton. 
it was obvious that some Jewish prisoner had buried his little menorah and the oil. But who was he? And where was he? Had he been transported to another camp? Had he died? Now, although Rabbi Schmelke desperately wanted oil for his own barracks, he sincerely hoped that the Jew who had buried these things was still alive. Perhaps he was still in the camp and would come back the next day and search for the treasure that he had so carefully hidden. So Rabbi Schmelke carefully buried, reburied everything, but for the rest of the day and night he asked every Jew that he met the same question. I found some oil and a menorah. Maybe you were the one who hid them? The other prisoners looked at him with sad eyes, certain that at last the horrors of the rabbi's work had destroyed his mind. No, rabbi, they said one after another, I didn't hide any oil. I didn't hide a menorah. The next night, however, they discovered that Rabbi Schmelke hadn't gone mad when they returned to their barracks after the evening roll call and saw, to their amazement, a little menorah standing on, on one of the bunks. To their even greater surprise, one of the cups was filled with oil. Rabbi Schmelke recited the blessings, then kindled the light for the first night. The group watched in silence while the tiny flame fought its eternal battle against the surrounding darkness. Some smiled, others cried. All felt a sweet spark of hope revive inside their embattled and embittered hearts. Their own personal miracle was repeated on each night of the holiday. And then a few months later, in April 1945, an even greater miracle occurred. Germany surrendered. The war was over. But the story doesn't end there. Rabbi Schmelke was one of the fortunate few who survived the war. After Bergen-Belsen was liberated, he returned to Hungary, where he served as a spiritual leader for other survivors and became known as the Tachaber Rav. Several years later, he made a trip to the United States. And while he was there, he paid a visit to an acquaintance from the old country, Rabbi Yoel Teitelbaum, the Satmar Rebbe. While they reminisced, the Satmar Rebbe mentioned that he had also been a prisoner at Bergen-Belsen. I was rescued on the 21st of Kislev, four days before Hanukkah, he said. Before I found out about the rescue plan, I made provisions for the holiday. I bribed several camp officials and put together a package of oil, cups, and wicks, which I then buried in a field. I always felt badly that my little menorah was never put to use. Rabbi Schmelke smiled and said, Your menorah was used. It dispelled the darkness for hundreds of Jews and helped at least one of them survive the war. Now, is this story true? I don't know. That's an incredible story that talks about the hope of the Jewish people. It talks about how important it was to continue to observe their holidays, even when they thought they may be dying any day. And it shows how God's provision is limitless. In Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 35, we read, Who shall separate us from the love of Messiah? Shall tribulation or distress 
or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other living created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Messiah Yeshua, our Lord. When we look at history, both scripturally and physically today, we see what God's people have done and are doing in the face of overwhelming odds, in the face of persecution, and even in the face of death. I say there's hope. But that hope can only come from knowing who God is and that he will deliver us who believe in him. Remember what it says in John chapter 10, beginning of verse 22. Now it was the Feast of Dedication, also known as Hanukkah, in Jerusalem. And it was winter. And by the way, there is no other festival that occurs in winter. And Yeshua walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. When was this again? This was during Hanukkah. And Yeshua clearly declared in the next verse, verse 25, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. So he clearly responds to them declaring, yes, I am the Messiah. Verse 26 says, but do you believe because you are not, but you not, do not believe because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So in addition to saying that he is the Messiah, he made that declaration that his sheep will hear him. That he knows them and they will follow him. Verse 28 says, And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. So he gives eternal life. That would be enough, you know. He could have stopped right there. But he says no one can snatch them out of his hand. He holds them in the palm of his hand. But if that wasn't enough, he went on in verse 29 to say, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. So not only could they not snatch his people out of his hands as the Messiah, they also could not snatch them out of his father's hand. But here's the part that got him in big trouble. This is what caused the biggest issue with the leadership in Jerusalem. Verse 30, he said, I and my father are one. Whoa, wait a minute. Bad enough he declared his messiahship, but now he declared equality with God. And as we know, 
if we go on with the story, we see that that's what led him to the execution stake physically. Spiritually, we know that it was already prepared for him to go to the execution stake on behalf of all of us. There's a number of traditions and customs that surround this time of the year. Hanukkahs. Uh, I don't see any but dreidels. Latkes. I, don't, I hope somebody brought some. Sufganiyot. Love me some Sufganiyot. And cheese blintzes. There are a lot of others. There are songs that are associated with this particular holiday. Al-Hanisim. Ma'otsur. But remember, in all these symbols, in all, in all the songs that are sung, there's one underlying goal of all of them. And that is joy. Now, how can you enter any festival without joy? I don't know. But now, let's go back to the story of the Maccabees. Is Hanukkah about the oil? Or is it about the miracle of the people rallying for a better good, even when they don't see God in it, and they don't hear His voice or even feel His Spirit? I say it's both. Because God in His infinite wisdom and in His infinite power causes His creation to be overcomers. But is it the oil or is it the people? I say it's neither. From the Hanukkah Haggadah, Rabbi Yaakov Bar Nachman says, the purpose of the celebration of Hanukkah is to welcome the Messiah. Peace is the Messiah. We light candles of peace to renew our faith in the ultimate triumph over, of peace over war, and we rededicate ourselves and our efforts to bringing this about. All I can say is, wow, this is an Orthodox rabbi from an Orthodox Hanukkah Haggadah making this statement. I could see it if it was a Messianic Hanukkah Haggadah. Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 8, says, Now there were shepherds in the same region, living out in the fields and guarding their flock at night. Suddenly an angel of Adonai stood before them. And the glory of Adonai shone all around them. And they were absolutely terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for behold, I proclaim good news to you, which will bring great joy to all the people. A Savior is born to you today in the city of David, who is Messiah the Lord. That scripture by itself, among others, of course, but it's been used to exemplify the reason for the celebration of Christmas among Christendom. But it's also something that exemplifies the light of the world, our Messiah coming. See, some find it ironic, and I'm one of them, that the traditional Christmas story surrounding the birth of Yeshua actually exemplifies the significance of Hanukkah. 
because it's the festival of lights. As we just read earlier, it was during the Feast of Dedication when the city of Jerusalem would have been fully illuminated by the Hanukkah lamps. Because those that don't know it and those that do, but they need a little reminder, when those Hanukkah lamps are lit throughout the city, the whole city is lit up. There's no darkness at night while those lights are burning. Well, that was when Yeshua, while standing in the temple court, said, I am the light of the world. The one who follows me will no longer walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. See, maybe not, Rabbi Nachman wasn't so far off when he said that the purpose of Hanukkah is to welcome the Messiah. Because unknowingly, those people then were welcoming the Messiah. They didn't, many of them didn't accept him as the Messiah, but in retrospect, I think they realized that they did welcome him during that festival. So as we continue to light the festival lights, Let's all be reminded that Yeshua is our everlasting life. He not only illuminates, but eliminates the darkness. There's a time, I, I, re- I read it, those who were in prayer this morning, um, heard the Psalm 136. 39. I'm just going to read what I read this morning. Adonai, you searched me and know me. Whenever I sit down or stand up, you know it. You discern my thinking from afar. You observe my journeying and my resting, and you are familiar with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, Adonai, you know all about it. You hemmed me in behind and before, and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your Ruach? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, look, you are there too. If I take the wings of the dawn and settle on the other side of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely darkness covers me, night keeps light at a distance from me, even darkness is not dark for you. And night is as bright as day, and darkness and light are alike. Many are living in darkness today. That darkness isn't when you shut the lights off. That darkness is they don't have the light of the world. They don't have Yeshua in their lives to illuminate their lives. They don't have the Ruach. They don't have His Holy Spirit to direct their paths. But we who do have that light within us need to be light to them, to show them there is no darkness in Yeshua. There is no darkness in believing in God. There is no darkness in dedicating our lives to Him. Darkness and light are the same. 
We always think of them as opposites. But wherever there is light, there is no physical darkness. Same as in the Spirit. Wherever there's the light of Yeshua, there's no darkness in the Spirit. He is the light of the world. He is our light. Again, He will not only illuminate, but eliminate our sins. And all of our struggles will be taken away with His sacrificial death on the execution stake. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we thank you and we bless you because, again, without you we're nothing. We need you. We were born into darkness, but you bring us the light of life through Yeshua, the light of the world. I pray that each and every person, not only within the sound of my voice, but outside these walls as we come into contact with them, would see that. Would see that you are, Yeshua is, salvation. And that they would turn their lives around and begin to walk with him. If you're you're not sure, if you haven't given your life to Yeshua, or if you've maybe fallen away a little bit, I invite you to come. When we close, after the service is closed, the elders will be available to pray with you. But Lord, I just thank you and I bless you that you're speaking to us today in a special way. And I pray that each and, each and every one of us, individually and collectively, would hear what you're saying and take to heart your words of love, comfort, and restoration. We love you, Lord. We want to do your will. We want to do those things that please you, not the things that feel good to us. But fill us with your joy, especially as we continue to celebrate this particular holiday. Let your joy overflow. Thank you, Lord, for your grace, your goodness, your mercy. In Yeshua's name.